So we are in the summer of Psalms, and uh, I don't remember how many weeks we've been doing it, but it's really been fun, I think, to go through the Psalms and be encouraged by them, be challenged by them, and hopefully maybe you've been encouraged to read a few more of them on your own when you're not in the service. But uh, we're looking at Psalm 147 today, and I want to give a little bit of background that kind of maybe sets the tone for the Psalms. So there's 150 psalms, and the last five of them, 145 to 150, are all given in response to the nation of Israel coming back from a 70-year exile in Babylonia. And they were able to return to Jerusalem. So the psalmist, this is a psalm of new orientation for them. If you remember, Steve's been talking as he was preaching that there are three types of psalms. Psalms of orientation, psalms of disorientation, which a lot of times are just pleas for help or, you know, going through tough times and waiting and struggling and things. And then the psalms of new orientation are supposed to do that exact thing. Give us a new perspective, a new way of looking at things. So the exile that the Israelites are coming out of is really part of a cycle that the whole life of Israel has been going on in the Old Testament. You know, it's starting with their enslavement in Egypt and their struggles. God saves them through Moses, bringing them out of Egypt. And actually, Israel started to prosper in Jerusalem, but they got even to a point where they started to enslave other people. And then God allowed them to be overrun. And that was the first exile. This is the second one. So there's a pattern here with the people of Israel, right? They need to be reminded of how good and how faithful God is in their lives and in their presence. So the occasion kind of helps to explain. Um, They're starting a new chapter, and Psalm 147 is part of that. If you would join me, there's printed in your bulletin, Psalm 147. Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing the praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He determines the number of stars, and he calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble and casts out the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with a grateful praise. Make music to our God on the harp. He covers the sky with clouds, he supplies the earth with rain, and he makes the grass to grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of a horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Extol the Lord, Jerusalem. Praise your God, Zion. He strengthens the bars of your gates. And he blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest wheat. He sends his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He spreads like the snow, spreads the snow like wool, and scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down hail like pebbles. Who can withstand his icy blast? He sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. He has revealed his word to Jacob and his laws and decrees to Israel. 
He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. Praise the Lord. So Helen Keller, who was born both blind and deaf, quoted saying this at one point. She said, I've always thought it would be a blessing if each person could be blind and deaf for a few days in their early adult life. Darkness would make him appreciate sight, and silence would teach him the joys of sound. Perspective. We all need to be reminded. The nation of Israel needed to renew their perspective and their memory of God's faithfulness in all of their journeys. In the psalm, the main theme is God's grace towards his people and his greatness in relation to creation. A reminder again. The audience receiving the psalm, including us this morning, we needed this perspective. We need to be reminded of what God has done in their lives, what God has done for us, and that they must be thankful and to do what they were created to do, and that was to worship and praise God. So in all of the five psalms, 145 to 150, they all begin and end with a call to praise, a call to worship. Something we do every morning when we gather. Steve is famous for being up here in the pulpit and saying as we start our service, now let's do what we were created to do, and that's worship God. In the first verse of the psalm, it says, Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting it is for us to praise. Is that true? Is it good for you, for us corporately, individually? Is it good for you to worship? Does it come naturally? Is it poignant? Does it move you or change you? It should, because we were created to worship God. We need to be reminded. We need to take stock. I was on a sailing expedition with some good friends of mine that had just purchased a new boat, and we needed to sail it from San Francisco down to Ensenada, Mexico. And one of the days, we were out about 30 miles offshore. The wind was good. We were just cruising. My shift was over, so I didn't have any responsibilities on the boat. So I went out way up onto the bow, front of the boat for the non-sailors. And at the very front of the bow of this sailboat, was a long extended metal rampway with a railing called a pulpit at the front of the boat. So I went up and sat at the very front of the pulpit with my feet dangling over the railing. And the boat was going to get such a good clip that when we would go down, my feet would sometimes hit the water. And then we'd come back up and I'd just see this beautiful thing. And I was just in awe and amazement and kind of just giggling. It was so much fun. And about five minutes into that, I was blown away because as I'm looking down and we go down to a lower level, I realize there's about five or six dolphins right here and five or six dolphins right here. And they're riding the wave of the bow. And every time the boat goes down, one of them swims around and then is replaced by the next one. So they're just flanking, kind of like geese in the air. And I was just sitting there thinking and just in amazement. I could have reached out and touched them. 
I didn't want to bother anything. I just watched. But I thought, how cool would it be to be a dolphin doing what they're doing? Because they were doing what they were created to do, what their natural instincts are to do. I don't know how they knew when it was time to leave the lead one and go to the back and then move in and stay in line and just when they need to come up for air and all these things, but they were doing what they were created to do. And it was good. And it was pleasant. And it was fulfilling. And it was natural. Is worship like that for us? Do we have to manufacture it? I think as we look at the psalm, we'll be encouraged and reminded maybe how to present ourselves as we come to worship and to offer our praise. So back to the text of the psalm. If you notice as we're reading it, there's a definite rhythm to the psalm. There's three stanzas. Remember, psalms were songs of the people. So it really is written like poetry or songs. So there's three distinct stanzas. Each one begins with a call to praise. And then the next few verses are reasons for praise, reminders to them of why they should worship God and why they should praise. And these reasons revolve around God's goodness and his faithfulness towards his people. And that's seen in the grace that he offers them. They were not an easy group to be God of. They were not very faithful. They wandered all the time, complained about everything. But God showed amazing grace in his relationship with them. And then it also shows his greatness over creation for their behalf, reminding us that he's God and we're not. We don't make the stars. We don't make it hail and rain. We don't make the grass grow. We just benefit from it. God has surely shown them a lot of grace. Let's remember what the definition of grace is. It's getting something that you don't deserve. Heaven knows the Israelites did not deserve the grace of God they were given. And it also means that what you do receive has nothing to do with anything you've done or haven't done. There's no way you can earn it or deserve it. Grace is a powerful thing, and it should lead us to worship. So over the years, I've traveled to Africa nine times now with students to go to our sister church in Kafita, Malawi. And on the return trip one time, we had, my wife had met us halfway through the trip, and after we were done in Malawi, we actually went to Cape Town, South Africa, because it was one of the legs to go home. And so the leg was from South Africa to London, and then London to San Francisco. And these flights are long, <laughs> it's cramped. We're all flying economy, of course. So we're in Heathrow Airport in London, and the big long line of people getting ready to load, it was a 747. You know, and they have two entrances to load the plane. There's the one up front that has like 400 people in line. And then there's another entrance to open the plane or to load the plane that had like five people in line. So if you know me, my nature said, honey, let's go to the short line. <laughs> so we kind of nonchalantly walked over to the short line and, you know, like we belonged or something. I didn't realize that that entrance was only for first class. But we had our stuff and we went through and there was the flight attendant at the little thing that scanned your boarding pass and everything and we gave them our boarding passes, ding, everything's good. So we start walking down the gangway to the plane and we made it about halfway. <laughs> and then the flight attendant goes, excuse me, <laughs> excuse me, are you in first class? 
And we looked at each other and we said, well, this is a monumental moment here. Do we be honest or if we try to make this happen? No, we're an economy. She goes, well, would you like to be in first class? <laughs> we looked at each other and just started giggling and she took our boarding passes and she went up and she printed two more and gave it to us in first class, in the top bubble of the 747 up in the front. So not only were we in first class, we were in the top level of first class, first first class. We sat down and just, we, we giggled. We didn't even know what to do. We'd never been in first class. I hadn't even flown business before. And you're in this whole, I don't need to tell you, but it, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> and like they give you champagne before you even take off, all this stuff. So we're sitting there and it, you know, because there was 400 other commoners going into economy, <laughs> it took the plane, you know, it took about another 30 minutes for the plane to get ready to take off. So we're just enjoying everything. The TV screen is huge. There's all kinds of goodies there and everything. And a stewardess, a flight attendant comes up to us and says, excuse me, Mr. and Mrs. Kale, we have a couple that have, they're flying with their infant and the two seats that you have are the last two that were available for a bassinet. Would you be willing to switch seats with them. Oh, we, she didn't tell us that their seats were still in first class, but we looked at each other and literally, my wife and I were, and she was about to, and I just said, oh, sure, they can have our seats. So we get up and then she tells us, by the way, you're still in first class, you're just not in upper, upper first class, you're on the regular level first class, <laughs> which we were pleased to find out that the seats were just as good as the ones that were in upper, upper first class. We didn't deserve any of that. And you know what? It was pretty amazing to receive that grace. But it was also a lesson to us of what happens to us when we receive grace that we don't deserve and we haven't earned. It affects us. And when they told us that we needed to move, we were like, I don't know if giving grace is going to be as easy as receiving it. Because that's our nature. So, in the psalm, the psalmist reminds the people of this amazing grace that's been given to them through their whole lives, and especially during the previous 70 years where they were driven out of Jerusalem, their home. So in the three stanzas, verse 1, verse 7, and verse 12 are all calls to praise. And each one of those are followed by the truths that remind them why they need to worship and why they need to be grateful for the grace that's been shown to them. In verses 2 through 5, the Israelites are reminded of God's provision during their exile and as they return to Jerusalem. His faithfulness in their lives. His faithfulness is a reason to praise him. Verses 8 and 9, in the middle stanza, remind them of God's greatness over creation and, over their, and their dependence upon him for their everyday sustenance. He provides that for them. So his provision for them is reason to praise. The third stanza, verses 13 through 18, serves as a reminder of the promise going forward of God's continued care for those Israelites. They don't really deserve it, but they get it. So his ongoing commitment to his people is a reason to praise. And each stanza concludes with a contrast. A contrast is a reminder and I want to remind all of us today that as we are looking at this psalm and reading it, that even though we are not necessarily the nation of Israel, everything in this psalm that applied to them 
applies to us as well if we truly want to worship. So in the contrast, those aren't the easiest things to receive. In verse 6, it talks about the difference of the contrast between the afflicted people that God supports and the wicked people that he brings down. In verse 11, he talks about God's displeasure towards those that rely on their own strength versus those that fear him and wait for his love. And in 19 and 20, the contrast is between Israel, God's chosen people who have received his word, and the other nations that have not. So in these contrasts, it's kind of like being told it would be better if you were like this or you would do this as opposed that don't do this. It would be better if you are the kind of people that give God praise and worship as opposed to the kind of people that don't and rely on their own. I don't think it's in our nature to enjoy being challenged or exhorted like these contrasts offer, but they're a very valuable part of the psalm to remind us and to challenge us. For me, an exhortation or a challenge can be difficult to receive sometimes. In a way, it almost comes across as an innuendo that we're not doing something right or something well. A criticism, it starts to involve our pride and our own capabilities. Sometimes it feels to me more like a criticism or a sign of my weakness and dependence on someone other than myself. But we need to hear that, as did the Israelites. It challenged them to depend on everything in every way, in every part of their life, on God. And I think it should challenge us as well. And I think why it's so hard is we're so darn capable. And the world that we live in, in this area, Northern California, everywhere in our country, we are so equipped to do it ourselves, to not need anyone. If we need help, we'll hire somebody. But we're capable of doing so many things. On one of those trips to Africa, I was just so reminded of how dependent on God the people of Malawi are. They don't know where their next meal is coming from most of the time. So they worship God in a way that is just so encouraging and beautiful. When they sing, they don't just sing. They sing at the top of their lungs. Their body mannerisms, everything. I think I've used this in a sermon before, but when, they, when a choir will go sing in another church that may take them five hours to get to, they'll all travel an hour to the church before they go on the trip so that the pastor can pray with them. Because if you've ever been there, driving on the roads in Malawi is not a guaranteed safe thing. And their dependence upon God and their freely offering the fact that they can't do it by themselves, that they need him, and they have a long history of remembering his provision for them and providing for them. If the rain doesn't come in Malawi, the corn doesn't grow in the fall. And if the corn doesn't grow, they don't have maize and they don't have corn flour for their staple foods. So they worship God in a way that is natural and easy and pleasing I hope, as we hear the exhortations in this psalm, that we're reminded that our job is to worship and praise, and that it encourages us and be reminded of God's grace in our lives, 
And that his greatness is something we need as well. And that our worship comes from a place of humility and dependence and is authentic. Jesus had interaction with a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. And his instructions on worship to her were that it's not dependent on a mode or a method or where you are or how you do it. True worship is spirit and truth. It has integrity and it has truthfulness from our response to God. We have been given a call to praise. We've been shown reasons for the Israelites to worship. What are the reasons you have to worship? What is it in your life where God has been faithful? Where he has offered you grace that you didn't deserve and couldn't earn? What ways has he provided for you that should stir within us worship that is natural and good and comes easily? I know that I have so many things to worship God for. I need to sit down and make lists sometimes just to let it affect me and to wash over me how much God has done for me in my life and my family. And it leads me, it moves me to worship. I hope today, as we use this psalm as an example, that you can be reminded to maybe take stock in your life and in the way God has shown up for you And then that would lead you to worship. And then finally, to stay in line with the rhythm of the psalm, the contrast for us today is the challenge to be one of two kinds of people. The first are the kind of people that realize and acknowledge their need for God, his faithfulness, his grace, his greatness. And in turn, they praise him in response. There is another kind of person. That person is one who turns away and continues to rely on their own strengths and abilities. Zach Williams is a contemporary Christian artist and has a band and um, very popular within that genre of music. And he decided to go to a prison, Harding Prison in Arkansas. And he did a concert for 250 inmates that had been part of a prison Bible study program that was offered to him and they responded. Many of them had accepted Christ and become Christians. And he wrote a whole album of songs just for that concert. And all of them centered around God's grace and his gratefulness and his greatness. And in the live recordings of this concert, it just shows these inmates completely, passionately, extravagantly worshiping along with the songs that Zach and his brand are playing. It's just beautiful to watch, humbling to watch but challenging to watch. Because those inmates, as they heard those songs of grace and God's greatness, their response was worship. This is what Zach said about that experience. He said, as a songwriter, seeing God use the songs I write in my experiences to show his grace to others, it's one of the biggest blessings I've ever received. A little over five years ago, I visited a prison in Arkansas with my wife and my band, and we shared the story of what God was doing in our lives. And what I experienced that day was something I'll never forget. God broke my heart for these men and women that had ultimately just made bad decisions, which is something I completely related to. 
And for me, that experience gave me a whole new meaning to the word grace. Ever since then, I felt a calling to share my music and stories with men and women in prisons in the hopes that their lives can be changed by the power of the gospel. My prayer is to see the chains broken and the walls shattered, that God has a plan for each and every one of us in our lives, but we have to fully surrender to the cross before those plans are revealed. Those men and women in prison, they were given a call to worship. They knew the reasons why they needed to worship because they realized the grace that was offered to them and their response was to worship with everything they had. I hope we, today, for the rest of this service, I love the hymn that's coming up, and every time we enter the sanctuary, let us be reminded what we were created to do and what our response needs to be to that. As the psalm begins and ends, praise the Lord. Let's do that with joy today and every day. Amen. <laughs>